Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me across the table is Chris Fry. We serve as the directors and founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival coming up this September, but you'll hear about that later in the year. Um, Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, am looking forward to the year that is 2024. It's our first episode for this year. First episode of 2024, and you know what that means. We have to spend the whole time looking back at 2023. (laughs) Uh, That's kind of the rules. That's the way it works in our society. We have to spend the first few weeks of 2024 doing nothing but recapping 2023. True. And it's fine because I actually do enjoy doing this every year. I do enjoy where we put together our favorite films of 2023. And that is what we're going to do later in this episode. Chris and I will both be sharing with you our top five favorite films of 2023, uh, as well as sharing with you our biggest disappointment in a film and our biggest surprise in a film experience we had this year, this past year. So that'll be happening a little bit later in the episode. Plus, we're also going to talk a little bit about the North Carolina Film Critics Association recent winners and announcements. Uh, We've got those to share with you as well. We're really proud members of the Film Critics Association here in North Carolina. So we want to share what our collective group of reviewers came up with as favorite films. And then what'll be interesting, Chris, is we're going to share those and then we'll go into our personal top fives. See if there's any similarities. See how much yours and mine input and the association actually made an impact on their winners. Um, but before we do all of that, we do have one review, one film to discuss. It'll be our last review of quote 2023, I guess. Uh, as far as I can tell, I don't think we have any films coming out that are 2023 films that we're just now going to be reviewing in 2024, do we? Yeah, I, I don't know. Because the whole actor strike and pushing releases yeah. and everything, I mean, like technically, I guess Dune was finished in 2023 but then well but it's going to be considered be a 2024 released, right? film yeah. yeah we haven't reviewed which we always could um wonka color purple um there may be one or two others but yeah in general this is probably one of the last okay all right that's true there are a couple films couple. that were 2023 releases that we haven't discussed yet and it may squeeze in a review here in the next couple of weeks but more than likely, I think yeah. we're I think we're moving onward and upward uh, as we <laughs> sure. go after this episode. But our first review is the film Poor Things. It is the latest film by director Yorgos Lanthimos. This one is starring Emma Stone and also featuring Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe. Uh, we're going to be discussing that film here in just a moment, and then again afterwards, uh, we'll be doing all of the list and recaps of the 2023 year. So, Chris, are you ready to get into our first review? Let's do it. All right. Our review of the film, Poor Things. I am Bella Baxter. I'm a flawed, experimenting person. I seek outings and adventures. Bella, so much to discover. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I am finding being alive fascinating. With films like Dogtooth, The Lobster, and The Favorite, director Yorgos Lanthimos has become what I like to call, and if it's a successful term, I will trademark it, 
a box of chocolate filmmaker. No, hmm. this does not mean all his films are sweet, but rather you never know exactly what you're going to get, but it'll always be interesting. Okay. Poor Things, his latest film, has Lanthimos reteaming with Emma Stone to play Bella Baxter, a young woman who's brought back to life by an unorthodox scientist played by William Defoe. Did you find Bella's journey of discovery and whirlwind adventure across continents beguiling, bemusing, or boring, Alan? Um, remind me what beguiling means. Just like entranced. You thought you were just like... Okay. You know, yeah. And then the second one was... Bemused is like, oh, you find it funny, entertaining, you know, like you're... And then boring, well, you you, you know what that is. Okay. <laughs> I, I vacillated between the first two. Okay. Never, never, never bored. Never bored. Okay. Um, I uh, I like this film quite a bit. Okay. Uh, I was a huge fan of The Lobster. Mm. Uh, I was a pretty big fan also of The Favorite. So right now, Lanthimos is batting pretty good for me. Sure. Um, I uh, I really went in with I went in with high expectations on this film. I'll be honest because again, it's it's Lanthimos again, it's Emma Stone again. I like the concept, the premise. It, I've you know from what I saw in teasers and trailers, the visual style of the film looked really interesting. I'm like, I think I'm on board for this, and it met my expectations. And I actually thought this was a really really fun. Good. Also, interesting. I mean, had a lot to say and said it in a way that was entertaining and engaging, but also had some really interesting things to say with a very, very high concept that it placed on everything. Um, but I'll tell you what. I mean, Emma Stone. Hmm. Emma Stone, I thought, was amazing. Um, I'll go ahead and spoil a little bit of our North Carolina Film Critic Association talk. She was my vote on ballot and nomination for best actress because okay. I really think her performance here is pretty amazing. Um, and I liked Mark Ruffalo too, as Duncan Wedderburn, uh, <laughs> very interesting character, very fun character that he, obviously he had a lot of fun with, I'm thinking playing. So yeah, uh, this movie, I will tell you it, it was more, it was more shocking than I expected. Which I, I kind of was surprised at myself for even thinking that going into a Lanthimos film. I'm like, of course, there's going to be some, you know, a little more shock, not shock value, but just a lot, very provocative uh, yeah, uh, sure. things happening. Button pushing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of button pushing. And there was absolutely. But um, but at the core of this film is a, is a pretty sweet story. Pretty, almost a little fairy tale-ish story, I think, that uh, it's a very adult fairy tale. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the best way to look at it. And uh Visually, it, it it was what I expected. It was, I think, very visually interesting. I think it was, um, yeah. I, I I've gone off on. A, what did you think of this, Chris? I, I'm a big fan. I like to pour things quite a bit. What did you? So think? this falls into a category kind of like Asteroid City for me, mm -hmm. um, by director Wes Anderson that we reviewed earlier this year. Um, I liked it, but something about whether it was just expectations mm. or my viewing experience, maybe I, I need to revisit both Asteroid City and I, I need to revisit Poor Things. Um, I Unfortunately, because of the timing of this film with Poor mm -hmm. Things, it was towards the end of the year. I was trying to cram in a lot of movies for, you mentioned the North Carolina Film Critics Association Awards. I was trying to watch a lot of movies for that. I ended up having to watch this in three different sittings. <laughs> like mm. bits and pieces. Oh, like, seeing it. Yeah, okay. and that, that took away. 
Um, but all the things that you've called out about it that you liked, Emma Stone's performance, Mark Ruffalo's supporting performance, the costumes, the cinematography, the set design, all those things. And the supporting performances also of Willem Dafoe. And yeah, all that's great. But the sum of it may have been, um, you know, technically we've, we've talked about what the movie's about, but it's kind of like a, a female version of Frankenstein if we just kind of boil it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and I, I think we can give it, a little more depth to the plot without spoiling too much. Sure. It's basically, yes, it is a woman. Uh, Emma Stone's character had died. Mm-hmm. We find out it kind of bef- earlier in the, I mean, before the film story starts, right? This mad scientist, this Dr. Frankenstein, for lack of a better description, brings her back to life by implanting her with the ba- uh, the brain of a baby. I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. So obviously right away, you start to understand that that's, that's a, that's an awkward complication placed in there. You've yes. got a adult body with the brain of a baby having to learn from the core start of a baby's brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet facing the challenge, you know, facing the fact that she looks like an adult woman right. and obviously going to be perceived as an yes. adult woman by everybody around. Her. And I think that has a lot to say about, you know, the perception of people, especially uh, women where the the intellect is not being evaluated and and perceived. It 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 opens up a lot of troubling questions sure. and problems about the male gaze and the way that that men treat women. And I think the film has a lot to say about that. Yes, and it says it in a very fairy tale ish, parable ish kind of way. I think through this, um, while also throwing in a lot of sex and a lot of uh, button pushing. So you know, <laughs> there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yes, and I I think. Um, there again, I think if I'd been able to watch it from start to finish in one sitting, that would have helped. But kind of, I felt that the film to me, it was, it kind of worked in kind of a fits and starts type thing. The beginning was interesting. Then it stalled a little bit. Um, and then Bella ran away from home Yeah, and that was interesting. And then they get stuck at sea and then it kind of like went shifted down a gear, but then it shifted up a gear when she got to Paris again. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then things kind of slowed back down. But what does save the film for me was kind of a strong finish oh, at yeah. the end. And that yeah. really helped. So I think, you know, a second viewing, I think, would make me appreciate it more. Um, I just, I think it's definitely worth a revisit. Kind of like I need to revisit Asteroid City. I, I fully intend to revisit this one. This one, uh, this is one that I, I've seen many of my favorite films of the year multiple times at this point. <laughs> okay. This is one I have not seen okay. a, a second time yet, but I do intend to. Um Look, I, the, it, the film has gotten some criticism from people about some of the, I'm trying to think of ever more technical term for it, but a little bit of the, uh, quote, ickiness of the film. I mean, the fact that you are talking about a story of a, a woman that, you know, is being used by many men around her and kind of placed in situations that someone with, we got to remember, is a child right. and mentally... Right. But being put in these situations. Yeah. There's some, there's some content that you really kind of have to wrestle with and realize I, I I found it to be that the bigger picture, the bigger story was more important. This idea of how someone kind of comes into their own and finding out who they are, who they are meant to be and how to start using those perceptions and opinions people have around them against them and to better the moment their own selves. I, I found a lot of empowerment to it, but I can certainly understand people that watch this and do find some content to recoil from. It, it sure. is, if you really start to think through it, it is troubling. It sure. is the concept that in general is troubling, but 
I found enough value from it to feel like that there's a really good positive messaging even to come out of the end of this film. When I think what we've alluded to uh, with Lanthimos, we can, I expect to be uncomfortable about something. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of his films, they are challenging. He doesn't make ordinary films that go from A to B. You know, he, it's always something a little odd and often dark humor. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, this film in some places is being listed as a comedy and drama, you know? Yeah. And there are funny things in it, but it's always, you kind of cringe at why they're funny. Yeah. And I, I feel like I haven't uh, watched any interviews with Lanthos, but I feel like he would acknowledge, yeah, this stuff is kind of weird and kind of icky and, th- and I'm putting it out there for people to think about. Sure. So I think it's, yeah, I, I, I don't feel like he's shying away from the fact that it's, no, icky. no, no, not a bit. Um, no, I, I, I can see why some people have trouble with it and just make people like disgusted by it. And yeah. I want to see, it. I, I get that. I, I think if you, if you keep a certain frame, a, a frame of lens frame, as you go into this in your own mind, yeah, you could find this very troubling. I, I tried to shift that lens focus a little bit and say, um, I'm, I'm, I want to look at the bigger picture that was trying to be said here. And at the end of the day, I felt that the, I felt the story and the messaging was, was actually quote, sweet and positive in a very twisted way it got there. So I I, I found some real value to it. Um, Can we talk about some of the – this film has a lot of people in it. Sure, As you mentioned, the film is kind of a journey, a little bit of a journey film. So there's like three or four phases of her journey. So, of course, along the way, she's meeting different characters and we have different people appearing. We mentioned Mark Ruffalo as Duncan Wedderburn, kind of her – the first person to kind of take her – out of uh, out of the lab yeah. and exposure to a lot of the world, sure. uh, for better for worse. Again, I I thought he was just a lot of fun in this role. He 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 seemed to be seemed to be having a lot of fun with it. Willem Dafoe as kind of the Doctor Frankenstein. We had Rami Yosef as a Max was kind of an assistant mm-hmm. um, to Doctor Baxter, the Willem Dafoe character. Uh, I, I liked all those performances. I thought they're great. Did you have any others that kind of uh, popped out at you? Anything interesting? There's an interesting, I guess you would say, kind of a foil. Not a foil, but like a second attempt by um, Dr. Baxter to kind of rehab a... Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. And I forgot um, all about that. I'm trying to... Quali. What's her name? Margaret? Uh, Margaret Quali. Mar- Qual- yeah. Uh, Margaret Quali. Yeah. It's a... She- uh, um, Andy McDowell's daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I liked her yeah. performance. <laughs> and something, you know, we've talked yes. about Emma Stone's performance and I, I liked how Margaret kind of tweaked on that. But what was impressive to me with Emma Stone's performance is, I mean, you know, we, she's good. She's been nominated for Academy Awards. We know Emma Stone's good. But something as simple as working on how she walks yeah. throughout the film, like, okay, I'm like a baby. I'm learning how to walk. And as the film progresses, she becomes less and less Frankenstein like mm-hmm. in how she walks. Um, her speech, yeah. impressive, how they work on her speech so that at first it's this very odd way of talking and then it kind of slowly progresses to where. So it, just those little touches as an actress. And also, she doesn't, I find Emma Stone to be a very, you know, lovely looking lady. Mm-hmm. And in this film, they work to make that. Not so much. They just make her look kind of alien in a weird way. A little, a little bit um, with that. Although still catching the male gaze of sure, everybody in the absolutely, film, absolutely. But, but just something a about odd, it. Yeah. They work to make it 
look just a little, and I'm not even sure what it is exactly that they yeah. do, but something they do to make her look just a little different or something. I think um, it has all to do with the eyebrows. You, maybe, yeah, maybe the so. The eyebrows had to do. Um, well, I, I think it was an impressive feat she pulled off because like you said, I mean, I, I assume the, the course of this film, the story was over, I don't know, like a couple of years. Maybe. I guess so. Maybe, maybe so. I mean, it wasn't like multiple years. Sure. I don't think it was a fairly within a, maybe a couple years time. So you got to imagine somebody who starts at the beginning of the film with the brain level of a baby to, if you put that baby brain into a human, an adult body and force them to encounter adult things in adult life in a short period of time, how would a baby's brain evolve? Right. It's a really fascinating question you start thinking about. It's like if you crammed all this experience and shared and showed them all these things in an adult body environment over a two-year period, one or two-year period of time, what would it be like? And I think the film and Emma Stone's performance does a really good job of showcasing that and thinking about and really thinking about how that would happen. Um, Because, yeah, I love seeing the progression of her character throughout this film. Still by the end, still just enough quirks that you still know <laughs> there's there's still something different about this character, but yet you you see a character who has built herself over the experiences you've you've followed her on the last two hours. And uh, I thought it was just a really fascinating performance. And I will forever be indebted to this film for giving me the line, uh, excuse me, I have to go punch this baby. <laughs> that is- that happens to be my favorite line i think i've had in a film this year um it made me gut punch uh, gut gut what do you call it belly laugh belly laugh yeah, yeah. Sure. uh the most in the in the screening there so um it has a it has a lot of really yeah a lot of really funny lines <laughs> it you say it gave you one of yours my favorite was actually towards the end of the film mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, said by Willem Dafoe's character, I've taken five milligrams of heroin through the toes for pain, amphetamines for energy, and cocaine because I am partial to cocaine. I've come here to walk you down the aisle. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, like, yeah. And said by Willem Dafoe, obviously, a much, oh, yeah, you know, he is an actor unlike me, but like just the way they deliver that line, or he delivers that line, it's just, there's a lot to like about the film. Yeah. I need to take it in again. I will say, too, something, you know, we just kind of ran over the things we liked really quick. For Lanthimos, I don't think of him necessarily as a costume person or as a production design person. Cinematography, yes. But those elements in this film, it's like he takes the whimsy of Tim Burton using the color palette of Wes Anderson or mm-hmm. like so, or like a Barbie movie, but still maintains the dark edge to it, which oh, is yeah. kind of hard to do. You like make a Barbie-looking color movie with the whimsy of like Tim Burton, but still it's... Pretty no, dark. that's actually a pretty good, pretty good <laughs> so uh, way to describe it. It's a blend like, of that. Such a different looking film. Oh yeah, that he's made. So it's like I would say he's got to be one of the most interesting people making movies right now. <laughs> so. And then, of course, you know, you balance it, half the film is in black and white, or at least a portion of it, and sure. then and then the rest is in that more ac- accentuated color scheme yeah. palettes that we dealt with. And I, if I remember correctly, I think the palettes change a little bit with each kind of location that she's in. I think Paris has a certain feel. Mm. I think the um, the cruise boat had a had a real different uh, kind of a little more of a feel to it. So, um, yeah, no, I everything was working on this film for me. I, I think it just everything worked. Uh, I, I don't really have any complaints about the film at all. Um, 
I loved it. Yeah. I had a really good time with it. Um, I'll say to you, looking forward to 2024, I'm not sure when the release date of this film is going to be, um, but Lanthimos' next, next project, it was originally called And, <laughs> mm. and now it's going to be called, supposedly, Kinds of Kindness. Okay. And it will star Emma Stone again. Oh, good. As well as Willem Dafoe. Mm. And apparently, if I'm understanding correctly, you know, things can change before this thing's released. The title's already changed. But it is telling three different stories using the same set of actors, but they play different roles. Or maybe it's telling the same story three different ways with the actors, like switching roles they play in or something. Sounds very meta, um, but sounds, I'm like, all on board. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's like uh, Jesse Plemons is attached to that as well. Okay. And uh, uh, and then Mark Qualley is back again. Too. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like he's kind of developing a set of people kind of like Wes Anderson has his little yeah. group of people. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what he does with that. Um, because it sounds, sounds interesting. Kinds of so, kindness. Kinds yeah, of sounds kindness. really interesting. Well, I, I, uh, I really like poor things, Chris. I think you need to give it a second chance. Okay. I'll, I'll do that. I really, I do. I think now that the kind of the hubbub of the, the rush of film watching viewing has passed and you know, we're, we're kind of settled in now into a, a new, a new year. I think he, I think you should give this another shot and I'd like to hear your follow-up at some point. If you do okay. just kind of drop it in the show, sure. let us know. Hey, yeah, I checked it out again and now I dislike it even more <laughs> or, or better, whichever it may be. Um, but I'd like to hear your feedback on it. I'm anxious to watch again. And, uh, but yeah. I do think, I think like between, I will admit I never saw uh killing of a sacred deer. That's the one length most film I have not seen. Okay. I've seen that is, uh, that is an interesting one. I yeah, have seen that one. Yeah. I think I've actually seen all of his feature films. I think I, I'd seen Dogtooth, and I saw there was another one besides Dogtooth that he did before The Lobster, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, the Alps. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I saw, saw that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I saw both you, of those. And you've seen the favorite. So I've yeah, seen I the favorite. Seen I've seen uh, the Lobster. I just had not seen Sacred uh, Sacred Deer. That's an interesting one. Um, for some reason, it gives me kind of a salt burn feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's that's an interesting. I actually would like to go back and revisit that one. Well, I definitely well. want to go watch that now because I mean, again, right now he is. Lanthimos has kind of taken the place for me of where I was with Tim Burton for so many years, where it's like, hmm. you know, back in the mid nineties or well from late eighties through really late nineties, it was like, I, you look forward to a Tim Burton film. And again, it's that whole idea of, I kind of know generally the style I'm going to get, but I still don't know exactly what I'm going to get. And I'm looking forward to it. Lanthimos is, is the Burton for me right now, but <laughs> amped up where sure. there's even more uncertainty about what I'm going to get when I get there. I know it's going to be of a certain, I know there's going to be a certain tone or style to it, but I just don't know where the story is going to take me. And that's exciting, but blending a visual style of uh, having a certain look and feel to a film, which I do think in a way, yes, this one's different, but I could still see some similarities between all of his films as far as some, some visual elements and, and style that he, 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 he approaches. But um, yeah, this is the one where it's like, yeah, I'm totally waiting for the next film. I want to see where it is. Wes, Wes Anderson's been that way for me as well, too. You sure. know, same kind of idea. Lanthimos is like both of those, except more random and more <laughs> unexpected where it's going to go. Right. Yeah. yeah. Box of chocolate filmmaker. There you go. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> All right. Well, that is Poor Things. I don't really know where it's playing. I don't think it really came to our town. Uh, you know, not. Yeah. So 
Hopefully it'll be online soon for people to be able to see because I don't think it got a, a terribly big release um, schedule. I mean, I guess depending on Oscar nominations, this will be in February. I guess maybe they could decide to put it in theaters depending on how many it gets. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like this one's not going to get tons of Oscar buzz. All right, tons of Oscar love. I could, I can understand why. I, 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 I should mention just because we try to be at least a little bit of a public service to people watching too. Sure. And our whole thing of, is this one you watch with the family, with the kids <laughs> in the room or not? Uh, no, no, please do not. This one is, is about as a, an adult fairy tale as you can get. And, uh, they do not shy away from a lot of content and depictions and discussions and, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely one for the for the adults in the room. So, yes, yeah, um, but yeah, I don't, I just I, something tells me it's just not. It's going to be one of those films where people are going to be like, oh, it didn't really get a lot of, didn't get a lot of nominations for anything, and I kind of feel like that's what it's going to be with this one. I hope not, but we'll see. All right, poor things by Yorgos Lathimos uh, in some theaters right now. And hopefully will be available for everybody else in the country and the world to see before too long online. So, all right, Chris, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, it's going to be all about recapping 2023 North Carolina Film Critics Association's winners. And then yours and my favorite films of 2023 to share. So stay tuned. We're, you're listening to Foot Candle Films and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Chris and I just finished our review of Poor Things on the first half of the show, but now we're moving our attention to the recap of 2023. Chris, you and I are part of the North Carolina Film Critics Association, and we got to take part, as we have for the last several years, in the year-end uh, both nomination process and the final balloting and uh, very uh, proud to be a part of this. This is their 12th year of doing their annual awards as the Film Critics Association. And uh, we thought we'd want to share some of those winners before we get into our own personal ones, kind of to set the stage a little bit and also see what a collective group came up with for the state of North Carolina as the best films of 2023. So, Chris, how about um, you want to kind of knock through a few of these and let's talk about some of the big winners? Sure. So uh, we do separate the North Carolina Critics Association. They do separate uh, Best Picture into two parts, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, they have the narrative film and then the documentary film. So for uh, Best Narrative Film, they have a little scene film called Oppenheimer. That actually Oppenheimer. Yes. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Uh, this one. This one. Uh, not to not to spoil too much. Sure. Pretty big winner for the. Uh, Film Critics Association. Apparently, pretty big winner, and the only one that had ever won as many as this film did was uh, last year's Everything Everywhere All at Once. Okay. So, so, so it's almost like we've moved a little bit, at least in the last few years, where a single film takes is, is a more dominant force when it comes to awards. You know, sometimes you have award years where the awards are spread sure. across Pretty many, evenly. many films and right. all. There's no one film that really kind of dominates. And then you have that year. It's like, nope, that film just kind of steamrolled over everything. <laughs> and when that this year, at least on the North Carolina film critics, sure. it, it was Oppenheimer. So which yeah. interesting, you know, before we go too far off the beaten path of what we're talking about. Interesting for me, because last year it's an a 24 release yeah. versus a Warner brothers release, which mm -hmm. you know, two totally different type of films. Yep. But so it's interesting that one film was it last year's was able to dominate like that. So yeah. Interesting. But I think, I think ultimately it's good sure, that yeah. I don't want, uh, you know, I, I don't want it to, I don't want us to have the same type of film 
always seen as the best every year. You know, so. It doesn't have to be an art house. And right. it doesn't have to be a blockbuster. It's kind of, yeah. I kind of like the fact that they, we can play in both sides. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, yeah. And that was out of a field of, I think there were 10 nominations for yes. the best narrative films. Oppenheimer was the winner with that. Okay. Uh, what about, I'll, I'll mention best documentary film. That was another category. It had five nominated films in the category. And the winner for that was still a Michael J. Fox movie. Um, I will say Oppenheimer was not the top choice I gave oh, on okay. uh, the narrative film, but still a Michael J. Fox movie was my choice for best documentary. Was, was your top choice for narrative film? Did it make it in the nominees at least? Just curious. Yes. Okay. Yes, it did. What was it? Oh, we're, we're, we're going to get to that. Oh, that's, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, well, I was just saying how you voted, not necessarily oh. your top five, but like. Oh, how I voted so on here. It could be different. Yeah, that's not. not. Okay, that's not. <laughs> yes, we will, we will keep that under wraps. No, I kept myself pretty, sure. pretty pure how here, Chris. How you voted for this is how you voted. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, well then we'll, yes, we will keep those close to the vest, uh-huh. so to speak. So uh, for best animated film, yeah. we had the sequel to the other Spider-Verse film, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was the winner. Which I was, I was happy to see that. Sure. I think that was a deserving film for that. And uh, yeah, it made sense. Uh, best foreign language film was Anatomy of a Fall, which that was also my selection. Um, yeah, that one's. Uh, and yeah. what's interesting is that if I understand correctly, but who knows? We don't have the Academy nominations yet. Um, this is not being put forward as France's nominee for best foreign language. For I'm oh, really? not really sure why, but if I'm understanding correctly, even though it won at Cannes and it's got a so, lot of awards, including so it wouldn't be Tucker, eligible for the Academy Awards uh, best because the picture. country has to kind of like right, put they it have up, to put a, it up. Apparently, it's not being which I don't really understand. So they're submitting it. It's just going to be consideration for best picture. Best picture, I guess. Yeah, and I guess they've got something else, which um, <laughs> I think there's a film, The Taste of Things. Oh right, maybe yeah. that's the one they're putting. I, I don't know. Weird. But I just yeah, thought that very was interesting. interesting. Yeah, so Anatomy of a Fall, which we were both big fans of, uh, well-deserved. Uh, that was also my choice on okay. the ballot for uh, Best Foreign Language Film. So and we have uh, Best Director went to Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. So. Yeah, that that's kind of starting that role of t- that train rolling on the Oppenheimer wins. Sure. Uh, best Cinematographer was also for Hoyte Van Hoytema for Oppenheimer as well. Um yeah, we'll get the acting. This is yeah. going to start to sound a little repetitive here, but go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Trend continues. Best actor, uh, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. So then I think a, a lot of people are on board with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Best supporting actor, which I was very happy with this. Okay. Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. I did give that vote to Oppenheimer. I thought his supporting performance was the standout of the film for me, and I really, really liked it. I, you know, I, People say this often because it's often true. Um, the categories are very competitive. Um, and I feel like this year, all the categories were very competitive. I could argue, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. I, I don't even remember right now what I voted because for me, it was very tight between Robert Downey Jr. and Ryan Gosling. I think yeah. I went ahead and went with Ryan Gosling because mm-hmm. I don't want to go on like a 20 minute <laughs> yeah. explanation of why, but very strong performances. Yeah, no, uh, it's good. So yeah. I, 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 I waffled on Brian Gosling. I was there. I was also on board with Charles Melton for May, December. I liked Robert De Niro earlier in the year with Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, sure. I talked a lot about how I, I think it's the best De Niro I've seen in a really long time, and he just played a great role. So, and then we've already talked about Mark Ruffalo, Poor Things, earlier mm-hmm. in the review. Those were the five nominations for Best Supporting Actor. Right. So it was a really, it was a tough category. 
So breaking the Oppenheimer uh, theme mm-hmm. a little bit, best actress, we have Lily Gladstone, who won for Killers of the Flower Moon. And there again, like you know, we mentioned, a very strong category. You're thinking, oh, well, where's Margot Robbie? Where's Emma Stone? Yep, they were mentioned. They were yeah. some of the nominees. But uh, Lily Gladstone came away with it. I, I came away with the win. I will say I'm interested to see how things shake out for like the Academy. Even though it is Martin Scorsese, I wonder if Killers of the Flower Moon – not that it happened in the it, but just because of release schedule, I yeah. wonder if it had been released later. If it because I wonder just because of how so many things came out in a rush, because it was one of the first things to come out. If people will kind of not forget about it, but just yeah. not, it won't weigh as high in their estimation. Yeah, but remember, Oppenheimer was actually a summer. That's movie. true, and Oppenheimer was even before that. But I guess what I think gives that the edge is the whole Barbenheimer thing. It, it became more of a cultural touchstone right. uh, that film coming out than than Killers did. Um, best supporting actress, divine joy Randolph from the holdovers. Um, I'm very happy with that win. She was not my vote for this category, but she was a close second. And I do think it's well warranted. I think it's a great performance. So, yeah. so uh, I'm very happy with, um, she was one of my nominees that, you know, obviously one of the nominees that I wanted to get on the final ballot. She made it. Um, it was kind of a very tough, tough coin flip for me, kind of like um, supporting actor was actually. Um, my, I think my vote went to Danielle Brooks for Color Purple. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I was happy that Randolph won because I really liked her performance too. But man, Danielle Brooks, Color Purple was really good as well. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So that's just a taste of the, the winners. You know, it, it, there's a much longer list of winners that, uh, that we announced as a Film Critics Association. Uh, we do encourage everybody to go check out um, all the list of winners. You can see it at ncfilmcritics.org. That is the website for the North Carolina Film Critics Association. Plus, they've put it up on Facebook and oh, sure. Twitter and all those other things, too. But uh, you go to ncfilmcritics.org. There's an awards button across the top. You go. You can see all of the, uh, the release of all of the winners for 2023 from the North Carolina Film Critics Association. So I, I just always... As always, I want to say thanks to the the Film Critics Association and all the critics involved and the people who kind of help put it all together and organize it. Uh, it's always such a fun process, and they do a great job with uh, wrangling all these diverse opinions from all across the state and coming up with a really great stellar list of winners. So uh, we will see how much of a prediction those winners are to what we're going to see yeah. in just a couple months' time at the Academy Awards this year. Yeah, that's great. Now, but more importantly, Chris... <laughs> How much of a predictor is it to our individual list of top five films for the year? This right. is this is the moment, Chris. This is it. This is what all the letterbox rankings, star ratings build to. This is what this is what it comes down to is we have to be able to walk away from the year 2023 and say definitively, Alan Jackson has said these are the five best films. And definitively, this is what Chris Fry says are the five best films that were released last year. Are you ready to get into this? Sure. How about we start from five and go up and uh, let's, let's ping pong it back and forth just because I, I don't want to hear your whole list. And then that might in some way, I, I'll tell you right now, I'm still, it'll be, it's going to be interesting what, what film comes out of my mouth on a couple of these choices, because I'm waffling between two or three for this five and four spot. So I'll well, just see what rolls out. So that's why I kind of want to, I don't want to hear your whole list. It might influence me. So um, kind of doubt it. And here's okay. why. Okay. Um, I went rogue. 
Okay. Um, this normally I don't have this problem. I mean, maybe struggling between the top two films, like mm-hmm. which film do I think is better? Because you know we're critics, but our opinions are subjective, and it mm-hmm. depends on how you watch the movie or how long ago you watch the movie. It's kind of hard to tell. This year, I've really struggled with coming up with a top 10. There were so many good films. I feel like this is a really good year for films. So I have put together a top five, but I will say that I'm going to say, A, I'm going to do it in alphabetical order. There is no ranking. Oh, there's no ranking for you. And B, Mm. here's the other thing. Um, This is films that people, uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer are on this list. Okay. Um, So I doubt you and I are going to have any overlap. I'd be very surprised if we did. Um, so okay. it is, I will say, and I, it's just a, because it's like the top five films that maybe I really liked that other people aren't talking about. Oh, so you're, you're but trying to go a little, uh, it's a little different. you're trying to go a little, uh, yeah, you're trying to be a little more of a, uh, give some other films, some love that we're not Correct. necessarily going to hear the spotlight about on other type films, which okay. just right. because I really had trouble narrowing down my list. So I decided to kind of take a different tack on it. So, I mean, right now I, I, I hear you because I've got honestly like five honorable mentions that on any given day could probably easily pop into my top five and come out. Mine are ranked, although it's a very loose ranking sure. in that I honestly could see any of them swapping places. So yeah, the ranking thing, it's a little more subjective for sure. But um, all right, well, that's fine. I still I still want to kind of go back and forth. Yeah, so I think you should go five to one since you do have yeah. them kind of that way. Yeah, so. we could do that. Um, all right. You want me to go first with sure. my, uh, number five film? Sure. Um, so my number five film is the iron claw. Okay. Uh, that was the one that we spoke about. I think, uh, one or two episodes ago. I don't remember exactly. Uh, Sean Durkin's film about the true story of the Von Eric brothers, a wrestling family. We talked about back in the early 1980s. Um, this one, I, I, I knew I was going to like this film, even just reading about it and hearing about it early on. But uh, this this got me more than I expected. I think I think Durkin nailed the time period. He nailed the, the characters. He, he understood this world. He understood this family pretty well. Um, and I thought all the acting performances were really great. Zac Efron. I thought was I, I nominated him for a, a best actor consideration okay. you know, this year just because I really think he's that good. I think he makes this film and it's a heartbreaking film. Uh, it could have wallowed in the tragedy and that's where I was fearful it was going to be at times, but it did just enough to kind of keep on the edge of getting too melodramatic with everything. And it ended it in it it got me with an ending. There's a lot of good endings this year. That is something I actually heard another podcast say, and I'm okay. like, yeah, you know what? There have been a lot of good ending. Films have ended good this year, as opposed to previous years where I can think, oh, I love the film, but eh, the ending kind was kind of limped ending. out. But sure. no, I love I love a lot of my endings. Actually, I think a lot of the films I'm picking today, I really like their endings, and that makes a big difference. So anyway, The Iron Claw is my number five. Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned I was kind of going in alphabetical order. So my first film is American Fiction. It's uh, by uh, Cord Jefferson, which it's his debut film. It stars Jeffrey Wright as a writer whose career is stalled because his work isn't deemed black enough. <laughs> uh, his character is a writer and an English professor. So he gets frustrated and he writes a satirical novel under a pseudonym. And he does that to try to expose the publishing world's hypocrisies. 
and the book has immediate success and forces him deeper into like this assumed identity that he's kind of established. Um, thoroughly enjoyed the film. Uh, it's, you can, it is showing in a couple of places. It's not quite streaming yet, so it may be kind of hard to find, but I recommend looking out for it. Um, I mentioned Jeffrey Wright and it's, he gets to be in the lead role. He is the lead in this film. So good. He's got a supporting, uh, Sterling K Brown plays his brother and their interactions together are just great. I mean, they should be in every movie together, <laughs> um, but they're, they're great. So that's uh, American, American fiction. Very good. I, I will go ahead and say I have two films on my list that are, are two films on my watch list. I did not catch up with in time. Okay. One of them is Only American. Only two? Gosh, mm-hmm. Alan, that's amazing. <laughs> two, two that I felt like I needed to see. Gotcha. And uh, one is The Color Purple. I'm very, very uh, disappointed I didn't catch up with that. I plan to do that by the end of the year. And the second one is American Fiction. So uh, I can't give you any feedback on your choice there. I'm sure it is an excellent choice. Sure. It is one I am anxiously looking forward to seeing here in the next few days, though. Okay. Uh, my next one, my number four, I guess you could say. Uh, is a new addition to my list. Um, and it is all of us strangers directed by Andrew. Hay. Um, this is one I know Chris you've seen. Yes. And, uh, maybe a little bit, a little bit further down on it than, than I am. But, uh, I, uh, yeah, this one got me, this one got me really good. This is a film about a screenwriter named Adam, who's, uh, kind of a, a loner, kind of, uh, has himself as his own life. It meets a neighbor, a very mysterious neighbor called Harry, played by um, Paul Mescal. Andrew Scott plays Adam, the screenwriter, and uh, and this is all pretty revealed. I don't think it's spoiling to say that Adam uh, has conversations with his parents. Yes. Um, who? Yeah, I mean, in a very odd kind of unique way, that's really driving this story, and, and it's all about someone who's alone and they're alone for a reason they're alone because people in their lives have have left them and they're trying to wrestle with that and wrestle with things that they didn't get to share didn't get to say to those people that they've that they've now lost but also a relationships building with his neighbor harry uh what does that relationship mean how does it kind of relate to this loss that he's experiencing uh with other people in his life anyway it's a it's a powerful film. It's a very, very powerful film. I, I think the you know the performances for this drive this film for me. I think it's a extremely well acted film. There are some dialogue scenes between the Adam character played by Andrew Scott and his mother, and then also his father played by Jamie Bell. Mother's played by Claire Foy. Mm-hmm. That are so heartbreaking and good and just real. And I don't know, it just this film worked for me. Uh, yeah, it really, really worked. It for worked me. for me as well. Um, I think. It is. It suffers from the poor thing syndrome where it came at the end of the year and I crammed it into the end of the year and I liked it, but I think I would have appreciated more if I would have had time to kind of slow down and think about it some more. But it mm-hmm. is everything you mentioned about it. I'm I'm on board. I, I did like the film. No, I think it's really good. And um, I, I just just saw it yesterday. So honestly, it just, <laughs> okay. just I'm like, wow. Okay, that just squeaked in Squeak. because it was a is good. Uh, I'm not familiar with any more of. Uh, Andrew Hayes' work. Um, yes, you are. Um, um, Lean on Pete, which we saw a long time ago. I think we both saw it. It was about a guy who takes a racehorse. And no, you don't remember. Um, there was another film. Uh, uh, 
Now I'm blanking on it. Lean on Pete. I don't remember that. You don't remember? Maybe we no. didn't discuss I saw it, but maybe we I swore we discussed it on the show, but maybe not. Um, but he definitely did lean on Pete, um, which I've seen. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm looking up the film right now. Does that mm-hmm. sound familiar? I feel like we did discuss it. I don't think we brought it for the Foot Candle um, Film Society. That we no, did. but no, I I never saw Lean on Pete. Okay. I'm getting confused with the uh, Chloe Zhao. Uh, Zhao the writer. The writer. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, Lean on Pete never saw. Never saw. Okay. No. Mm-mm. Okay. So this was a first time first Andrew Hay film yeah. for me. And, Got you. Uh, Got you. Liked it quite a bit. Andrew Scott. It's very good. Oh, yeah. I kind of wish I had seen this before I did my nominations because mm. I think I would have squeaked in a, put in a nomination, acting nomination for, for Andrew Scott for this. Sure. Um, Anyway, All of Us Strangers, that is my number four. Okay. So the next one on my list, alphabetically, would be uh, this. I guess if there's going to be a film that you already mentioned you you haven't seen, but this is the one that most people have seen, so I'm not really shining a light. But I feel like it did maybe kind of get bypassed. Um, The Color Purple. Mm -hmm. Um, Really enjoyed the film. Kind of already spoiled the fact that I really liked uh, Danielle Brooks' supporting performance. Um, I had seen the original Steven Spielberg, you know, movie, never read the book, but mm-hmm. I saw, saw that movie. I had seen this, a stage production of the color purple as a musical. Um, so I guess maybe the reason it is ranking as high as it is on this list for me or not high, cause it's just alphabetical, right. but it made the five was because I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed the film, even though I knew the story, mm-hmm. even though I know the story modified to be a musical, even though, you know, it still managed to keep me interested and enthralled and and like enjoying the different performances of the characters. There are just so many Fantasia Barino as she's the lead, but then you've got Taraja P. Henson, Daniel Brooks, Coleman Domingo. I mean, they're just, it is a murderer's row of a good cast, just so many good people. So yeah, I think that's, uh, that's why it makes it onto my list. And I feel like, I guess there again, because of the floodgate that kind of opened up, I feel like this may have gotten, at least it feels like to me, oh, yeah. kind of swallowed by everything it else did. that came out. So. It's a shame. It had a huge opening day on Christmas Day. Okay. A lot of people went to go see it. And then it it didn't after that. So it was just a shame because I do think it got lost in the shuffle with a lot going on at holiday time. Um, but yeah, I, I Chris, you're killing me here because the two <laughs> choices you've given are the two films I did not get to see yet. And <sighs> now I'm really kicking myself because I want to see these films. Uh, and there's a good chance the way you've described the color purple and the fact that I do love a really good, well done musical. And I've always liked the original story and the original uh, book and the, even the Spielberg adaptation of it. So yeah, I'm kind of in the bag for this film. I hate, I haven't seen it yet. So, all right. Okay. So that's your number four or a fourth one that, sure. that you're putting on the list yes. alphabetically. Uh, I guess second alphabetically you're doing, yeah, you're, you're yeah, screwing I'm, me I'm up. Screwing here, everything up. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, my number three, uh, don't have to spend a lot of time on it because we talked about it for the first 15, 20 minutes of the show, is Poor Things. Okay. So Poor one things. of your top five. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yep. Love it. I think we've talked enough about it. I don't need to say any more. Just Yorgos Lathamos, Poor Things, is my number three film of the year. Okay. Okay. So I'll just leave I it at that. Yeah. <laughs> I need to rewatch it. So therefore, maybe it would yeah. float in my list. Um, so my number three in alphabetical order would be Fallen Leaves. And it's by director Aki Kurismaki. And I believe it's the first film by this director that I've seen. 
Um, the film tells the story of Anza, a supermarket shelf stalker on a zero-hour contract, later a recyclable plastic sorter, <laughs> and Halapa, a sandblaster, an alcoholic, later an ex-alcoholic, <laughs> whose paths cross with this uh, this woman. And it's kind of like a, not a sliding doors type thing, but kind of how they keep missing each other or whatever. It's a comedy, but yet it also has a lot more harsher realities of kind of people on the welfare state. And mm -hmm. there's actually some current events that keep the film takes place, not in um, the Ukraine, but they hear stories on the news of mm -hmm. things happening in the Ukraine. So it's, it is very grounded in reality. Um, but I enjoyed it. And the little elements of levity, it's not like a comedy, like fall down laughing, like a Will Ferrell comedy or anything, but it's very much a, foreign film, independent film um, that has some elements of comedy, but I, I really enjoyed it. And one of the things as a film snob critic that I appreciated was um, the couple goes to see the dead don't die on an, uh, on a mm -hmm. date. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the Jim Jaramouche film. Yeah. I, I wasn't that. actually that high on, but it's just no. odd that they go see this film and the film obviously has a very deadpan type humor. Yeah. And that's the kind of humor that's in this film as well. Huh. And so it was like, you know, that movie exists just so these two could go see it on a first day wow. and like their responses to it and everything. It just, it's a very subtle, I guess, comedy, but I really enjoyed it and I didn't really know that much about it. And then I just had a, had a great time with it. So that's a uh, fallen leaves. And unfortunately with the exception of Curl of Purple that is out in theaters, I don't know that this is available anywhere yet. It okay. may still be in theaters, but it's one that I uh, recommend people check out. So that's fallen leaves. All right. Got your three for three with films I have not seen. Well, let's see. I'm guessing that was kind of my thing. It's like, A, our list will be different, which will make it more interesting. And B, I'm like, I don't know if Alan's. Well, I know my number two is not on your list. Okay. For sure. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, and the number one, I, I, I doubt it, but there's a chance because alphabetically it's still in the running with ah, you. Okay. But we'll see. My number two, and I know we're going to disagree on this film because uh, we've talked indirectly about it, and I've seen your star rating. Oh. Um, and my number two is Past Lives. Uh, <laughs> I still love Past Lives. We talked about it a while back. Um, I uh, uh, We showed it. It's okay. This is one I remember. We showed it at one of our film screenings. You did not get to see I it. I was on in vacation. The, you were on vacation. You caught up with it much later, so we haven't really had a direct conversation about this film right uh, i gave it at did i give us a recommendation i don't remember if i did or not anyway it's a high recommendation for me for people not familiar with this film uh past lives uh is starring greta lee um this is directed by oh gosh um celine song celine song yes thank you intern piped in with the answer <laughs> uh and it is uh, about two childhood friends nora and uh Sung, that are that part ways back when they're both young as Nora's family uh, immigrated away from South Korea comes to Canada. And I think makes her way to the United States. Uh, and they're reunited for kind of a, a period of time much later on as they're adults, they get rekindled their relationship and then meet actually in person back in life when both of their, well, definitely her life status has changed and, and, and where she is in the life. You know, it's, I've heard some criticisms about the film that it's pretty slight. There's not a lot to it. Um, it's true. It is a very small film. It is a very small story. It's really centered around three characters. You have Nora, you have Hey Sung, and then you have Nora's uh, significant other you meet later in the film. 
I think I just think the dynamic between these three characters. I love spending time with all three of these characters. I loved how real these interactions and relationship was. Um, and I don't know. It just it felt comfortable. It just felt like something I enjoyed spending time with all these people and seeing where these relationships went. I was never shocked or surprised with where the relationships went. It was always natural and it felt right, but still hopeful and heartbreaking all at the same time, you know, which is kind of a a weird thing. This is another one of those films that just had an ending that just got me. I just, I love the ending. There's a whole sidewalk sequence and I still think it's just really, really extremely well done. And uh, I don't know. I'm I'm a big fan of this film. I, I noticed this year, Chris, with the exception of poor things, my films are all relatively small in t- terms okay. of scope and people, limited number of cast members, limited number of kind of uh, stakes, you know, they're all just kind of smaller films and th- other than poor things, poor things is the one that just kind of goes all over the place. But okay. um, so far I, I like, I like the type of films we're seeing this year and this is a good example of that. So um, yeah, poor thing. I'm sorry. Past lives directed by Celine song is my number two film. And uh, I knew it was not going to be on your list because I know you're not yeah, as I, high on this I film. Don't, I don't hate it. It's right. just one of those that's just, oh, it's okay. Yeah. All right. Um. So I will go to my fourth film alphabetically, and that is the new film by uh, Vim Vendors, Perfect Days. Uh, mm-hmm. Plot synopsis is Hirayama seems utterly content with his simple life as a cleaner of toilets in mm-hmm. Tokyo. Outside of his very structured everyday routine, he enjoys his passion for music and for books. And he loves trees and takes photos of them. Um, A series of unexpected encounters gradually reveal more of his past. This, to me, the way people you just talked about, past lives, is the way I feel about perfect days. Now, as I've mentioned, and we mentioned constantly on this show, expectations probably has a lot to do with it. Went into past lives with big expectations and just ended up thinking it was okay. Perfect days. I knew very little about, except it was subtitled. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and like well, you and you know, not, Wim, and you know, Vim Vendor, I knew so, the director was yeah. sure, but not. I wouldn't say like it's not that this film has a lot happening in it. The guy goes around and cleans toilets. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, but just the way it was done, the way it was shot, and there's not like you're saying, not a big cast either. The guy who plays the main character, it's it's him. But he doesn't say a lot, so there's not a lot of dialogue. But just his very slow but gradual character arc was Mm. very satisfying for Mm. me. And you've mentioned how films have ended this year. Um, I'll call out the ending of this film. It's a Nina Simone needle drop paired with a climactic close-up of his face, Mm. the actor's face, who is Koji Yakusho. And man, it is great. And like the, it's the thing where it's a long close up. I'm not saying, I don't think it's for the entire song, which it's like, you know, three minute song or whatever, but it's a good portion of it. It's just locked on his face hmm. and you see the emotions happening and it's just, man, so good. Um, unfortunately, another one that's not yet streaming, maybe in theaters near you, but uh, Perfect Days by Vim Vendors. I uh, highly recommend it. <laughs> Chris, the whole point of this show is to end 2023 and where I don't look backwards. <laughs> and now you've given me four films already that I still have to see that are 2023 films. Right. What is the, what, what are you doing to me here? So <laughs> this is, this is rough. Um, 
but thank you. I, I had heard of the film. I was intrigued. I, I honestly did not know anybody who had seen it. So now I do, and I know you've seen it, and I know you recommend it. So that's great. But I also know because of your alphabetizing thing, I know that my number one is not on your list. Okay. So we are truly going to be batting a completely different list this year. Awesome. Um, I sure. like when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my number one film is uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. No, it's not. Nice. <laughs> that would be that would be mind blowing, <laughs> considering I think I recall our review, unless I've had amnesia, that that was your favorite film. <laughs> yeah, no, Five Nights from Freddy did not make my list. Okay, of the favorite films. Um, no, my number one film. Look, I, it's no surprise. It's The Holdovers. It is by Alexander Payne. I have only seen it, Chris, at this top point uh, four times. Wow. Um. Unfortunately, two of those times I probably should have used to watch The Color Purple or American <laughs> Fiction or The Perfect Days or anything else. But it, it just cements it as your number one. I mean, it you is. like it uh, that much. And look, and somebody even asked me the other day, like when I recommended it to somebody and they, and they, and they were like, well, why, did, why do you like it so much? I'm like, you know, I, I, don't, I can't really give you a – there's not like one specific reason. It's not like the acting is off the chart better than anything I've seen this year. It's not like the story is revolutionary or something really unique or creative to it. It's not. It's just, it's a, it's a warm Christmas dinner of a movie that just feels good. Um, you feel this film. I, I felt all the emotions that were going on in this film from all three of the primary characters we spent time with. Uh, I, I sympathize with every character in this, this film. Uh, I wanted to spend more time with every character in the film, just like with, uh, um, um, just like with past lives, same idea. This is about three three characters, truly, uh, truly about just these three, at a New England prep school. They're forced to kind of remain on campus during Christmas because one student in particular uh, can't go home for the Christmas break, so somebody has to stay there with them. That is the job of uh, the Paul Giamatti character, um, and he's watching over the a play a character played by Dominic Sisa. But then you also have a divine Joy Randolph who won the supporting actress award with the North Carolina Film Critics Association. Well yep. As kind of the head of the cafeteria and on campus to kind of provide food for them while they're there. But the three of them, their relationship, their bond, their experiences together, just so good. And just when you think the film is trying to be a little more playful and has uh, is all about just uh, just when you think it's going to try to be a dead poet society ripoff. Right. It it kind of veers and steers into some territories where like nope this is this has got this has got higher aspirations than just just that sure. this is not a let's redeem and, and put this uh, teacher up on a pedestal let's not um, put the child uh, through uh, so much heavy drama and, and, and let's not accentuate that no this is all it's all human stuff and it worked for me it it's just such a great comforting film uh, it gets me every time I watch it and. Um, yeah, so The Holdovers is my number one film of the year. Alexander Payne, uh, you know, I've been a fan of his films before. I really liked Sideways. I really liked Election. You know, but I, I've never said he's like one of my favorite directors, and I look forward to every work. This one to me is, yes, it's the best I've seen him do. And, um, yeah, just uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. So that's The Holdovers, my number one. When formulating my list, I kind of, you know, just to try to make it interesting so you and I didn't have repeat lists, I went ahead and blocked off Oppenheimer. I blocked off Barbie. And it was tough, but I went ahead and blocked off Holdovers hmm. because I feel 
But all three of those I liked. The only one I've had a chance to see twice was Barbie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say that's definitely not my favorite film of the year. I do like it, but it's not my favorite film of the year. Between Oppenheimer and Holdovers, if I was doing like a true list of what was number one, I need to see both of them again. But Holdovers also, we reviewed it on the show. We were both high on it. And it's, yeah, it it might, you know, here's, (laughs) it might edge out Oppenheimer just because of the fact it is a nice, warm Christmas movie. You know, all the elements in Oppenheimer, you've got a great cast, great direction, you know, all this stuff, you know, cinematography, all this stuff. Holdovers, you can say all the same stuff, but when it comes away, which movie do I want to return to? See, that's my question. Often, obviously, you've done it four times. It would probably lean towards the holdovers, yeah, if that I, makes sense. That's the thing with all five of the films I selected, is that these are all films I'm ecstatic and happy to see sure. multiple times. <laughs> Oppenheimer, I respect as a film. Absolutely. And I think from a technical standpoint and performance standpoint and directorial standpoint, yes, it is really, really strong, really right. good. But do I really want to watch it again? I mean, I'll watch it again. Right. But I'm not, it doesn't, it doesn't draw me to it. It's sure. not something where I feel this need to want to spend time again in that world. Um, where these five, I do, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Well, I, I haven't heard your number one yet. Okay, go ahead and tell me what film I need to add to my watch list, Chris, <laughs> okay. for your number one film. So this is another directorial debut by actor who, when I say his name, you'll probably be familiar with him. Um, he's never been a lead, I don't think, but he's done a lot of supporting work. Randall Park. Yeah. Um, he directed um, Shortcomings, and it tells a story about a guy, uh, his girlfriend leaves for New York City on a three-month-long internship, and uh, he's a strongly opinionated Berkeley art house movie theater manager, and he begins exploring life as a bachelor when she leaves. Um, the guy, the lead actor, is Justin Min, who was in After Yang. So this is another big, like, or not another lead role for him. Um, still kind of, I guess, a up-and-coming actor, but I really enjoyed the film. It's it's a comedy, and I guess you could say it's a little bit of a romantic comedy because it is the whole, like, he's chasing his girlfriend type thing. But I'm just (laughs) – so one of my – you know, it's very much a movie geeks movie because one of the things that – there's a line in there. Did you hear that theory that Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka? That's just just amazing on several levels. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) yeah. So you just – you know, it's like if that's your kind of humor, (laughs) then you're like, do what? Like, you know, it's just – it's funny. Um, So uh, it's a directorial debut. It's not – the only reason I saw it is because it came to us with critics links here for the end of the year. I don't think it's streaming yet, but it probably will be shortly. And this is kind of the overall reason for the making my list like this is because this is a film. It's not my favorite of the year, but I did really enjoy it. Yeah. And I don't feel like enough people have even heard of it, much less seen it. So uh, that is shortcomings by Randall Park. Wow. Okay. The other four, I, I totally, I got where you're coming from. I, I, I kind of, if I really did my research, I probably could have tried to figure out where you're going to go with those. Sure. This one, this one, yeah, this one's out of left field, and uh, I appreciate you bringing it up. That's good. Um, I'm anxious to see it. I honestly, this is the first I've heard about it, so thank you for that as well. Um, I, I do joke that you know you've added five more, basically ten hours back to my uh, <laughs> that I have to spend in my life of catching up on other films that I missed. But that's good. I, I like knowing that there's this was a strong year for films. And we had the fact that neither of us mentioned or had in our list Barbie or Oppenheimer 
for Killers of the Flower Moon. All three of which all we three liked. which we like quite and a again, bit. I both were just trying to bring a little bit something. It's a little bit of that, and plus, again, I, I really feel like this year my year was. I really just gravitated more to where I felt like I could really spend time with the characters. And uh, is it fair to say if we had a top ten, all three of those would have been in there? Somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll clearly. I mean, I already know what my other five are. I'll just kind of rattle them off, not in any particular order, but anatomy of a fall is a film. I, I really liked that was a top one, not to put in the top five okay. May, December. I really enjoyed that film as well. Uh, I thought that was great dream scenario. Uh, the Nicholas cage film. I loved, I thought it was great in killers of the flower moon. That's one, two, three, four. I got to squeeze a fifth one in there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Blackberry. Okay. Blackberry. I loved Blackberry. So that's, those would be probably my additional five. Uh, if I still know Barbie Oppenheimer and even in the top 10, nice. I think just goes to show it was a good year for film because I had a lot of good ones. So I'll rattle off my top 10, and this is also in alphabetical order, so some you will have already heard. But mm-hmm. we've got American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, Color Purple, Fallen Leaves, Holdover, Iron Claw, Oppenheimer, Perfect Days, and Shortcomings. So the ones that didn't make my top five was basically because I was trying to go for the lesser known. Because, yeah, yeah, I do have Barbie and Oppenheimer yep. in my top 10. Yeah. So. It's good stuff. Yeah. Very, very good stuff. Um yeah, so Chris, that was our top five. Well, in your case, your highlighted five highlighted of films. your sure. favorite films of the year. I just had to make it difficult. Yeah, and I think it was an interesting list altogether. Now, we always like to kind of, we never like to talk about worst film because I, I don't, I think that's that's damaging. I, I don't like that kind of approach. But I do think it's okay to share a film that we found to be the most disappointing film for us. So it could still be a good film. Just one that disappointed us, that we maybe felt like had a greater potential, could have been better, should have been better, and just wasn't. Um, so, Chris, uh, what was your biggest disappointment in 2023, film-wise? So, my biggest disappointment was uh, that Emerald Fennel film, Saltburn, mm-hmm. which I felt like was more of a salt fizzle. Uh, the script and story just felt, felt to me so been there, done that a nastier, not your mama's talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. Um, so I just, uh, I was let down by it. And I, you know, performances, there were some good performances in there. Uh, I just think, you know, maybe after coming off the high, that was promising young woman. It was, I, I just couldn't find a lot to really latch onto with Saltburn. So that was my biggest disappointment. Okay. Uh, and fair enough. I, I was, I was a little disappointed. We didn't talk. Did we talk about Saltburn? I don't believe we talked about no. it on the show. <laughs> I, I liked it. I think I liked it better than you did, but I did find it ultimately a letdown. Okay. Um, I think that is one where the ending does not work for me um, in that film. Okay. I actually think the film had something interesting going on for about half to two thirds of the film. And then I think it, it fell into a, it fell into a cliche that I did not want it to fall into. And that kind of ruined it for me by the end. So yeah. Got you. Yeah. Um, my biggest disappointment, and it's also a film I just, I just don't think is a good film. And it's a, it's a shame. Is it one that I really like? No, no, it's not. Sorry. <laughs> it is Flora and Son, the uh, film by John Carney starring, uh, Eve Hewitt or Houston. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, now this one, I'm a big fan of John Carney's films. I think once is amazing. I think sing street is amazing. That was his last film he directed. Begin again. I'm, 
I like, uh, you know, it's not great, but not as good as once or sing street, but man, sing street was so much fun. Sure. Such a good film. Really enjoyed it. So hearing he was going to be doing another film that was going to be an Apple TV plus film. That was going to be Eve, uh, Eve Houston, which is, you know, Bono's daughter. And I've really liked her in the stuff I've seen. It's giving her a chance to have a lead role in the film. And he played the male lead. Uh, it's Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah, yeah. And I really yeah, like him. I do too. So I'm like, and it's about music and it's about, you know, a mother and son relationship. I'm like, okay, yes, I'm down with this. Let's do it. And watching this, I felt it to be so cliched. So just eye roll inducing at times for me. It just didn't work. And I thought it just, John Carney's better than this. Everybody in this was better than this. And um, I just was very disappointed by this film. So Flora and son, unfortunately was my biggest disappointment in uh, 2023. Okay. All right. Now let's turn our attention to something uh, positive. That was our only flirtation with negative in this list. That's our only bit. I'm not even saying Florence Sun was the worst film I saw this year. It's just just a disappointment. Sure. Same with you. Um, So what is our biggest surprise? A film that really uh, impressed us or outdid its expectations for us. Um, Hopefully it's not one that was on our list of best films of the year or is yours. Uh, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and say what. Mine Why don't was. you go ahead and tell us? Yeah. So, um, my biggest surprise of the year was uh, Barbie. Okay. All Proving right. once again, you can't judge a film by its IP. Pirates of the Caribbean, the Lego Movie, and now Barbie. The film has it all: a great script, great cast, great director, both funny, and has a little something more to offer the audience rather than just being funny. That's true. And going in, you and I had talked about the film. We you know watched a preview. We we're anticipating it. And it's one of the rare things where it lived up to, for me, granted, I got to see it early on, but the hype and everything, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I was just surprised because kind of, I mentioned him when I heard about a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, I'm like, why, mm-hmm. why, why are you doing this? That doesn't sound interesting at all. A Lego movie, really? And both of those movies I came away really liking. And the Barbie movie, I'm like, I mean, granted this one, Greta Gerwig, and she has kind of yeah. little women and ladybirds. So I'm like, okay, but still I was like, is it just going to be, which I understand doing a movie for a paycheck and next, next please, I'll do another movie. But no, this seemed like she really dug into it and really gave us something that I thought was pretty good. So uh, awesome. yeah, Barbie was actually, it was, it was good. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, I mean, it really was. It was just outside my top 10. I've seen it a couple times. I, I think it's really, really good as well. I love the fact that the film has, like you said, has more to say than, than what you see on the surface. Mm-hmm. And I actually think packs a pretty emotional pallop uh, by the end sure. Uh, for sure. And, uh, but yet still able to balance really, really funny, really, really entertaining, visually very fun to watch. Yeah, no, it, it worked. So I was with you on that. I mean, if you're trying to make, if you just told somebody, I'm going to make a movie about girl power, but it's going to be funny. You know, I think my, we're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good good luck that. I'll be interested to see if you can make it funny without being too beat you over the head. And this yeah. movie was able was able to do that for me. I so. think so too. I think it was, uh, it was the right, it did the right balance of everything. So it was good. So what is your biggest surprise? Ever? Similar story in that it is dealing with a, an IP an intellectual property that Paw I patrol. No close okay. in a way. <laughs> okay. Um, close. Okay. Um, I have never been 
into or a fan of, and it missed me when I was growing up. It came much years later than me when they started getting popular. And I think I was already in college when they started getting popular, so I was, wasn't really into it. Okay. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I, I don't know how many films they've put out. I think I've maybe only seen one, maybe the original one. Was it the one with Vanilla Ice? No, I never saw that one. That was the second one. That was, was. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Secret of the Ooze was the second one. I never saw that. I think I just saw the original one that came out in movie theaters. And anyway, and just not, it's not, it was never my cup of tea. I'm gotcha. like, eh, just not into it. Fair enough. Um, but they released a film this year called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, directed by Jeff Rao. It's animated. It is animated with a really fun, interesting style where it kind of looks like it's claymation, but it's CGI. So it kind of gives a cool look to the whole thing that's a little different. Right away, that got my attention. I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. But come to find out, it's a really fun movie. It's really good. It's uh, the fact, I think the fact that they used young actors, mm-hmm. unknown actors, as the voices for the turtles. Sure. And they let them actually be teenagers. Right. And it's just, you felt that chemistry between the characters. And uh, they just felt real and they felt like fun and but yet, you know, there was also some moments of drama and you felt that as well. And it's like, I don't know, just everything worked with this. And uh, I had such a good time. It's one of those where I, I put on and I started watching just kind of begrudgingly. But we then reviewed it for the show. we reviewed it. Yeah. I think that's the reason I even watched it. It's like, well, I got to re- gotta watch this for the show. <laughs> and about halfway through, I'm like, huh, I actually want to rewind and kind of watch this part again because it was really good. And sure. that doesn't happen often with a animated film based off of a long-standing franchise of characters like this. So um, I'll say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is my biggest surprise. It's a four-star film for me. I never would have imagined I would have given a Mutant Ninja Turtles movie <laughs> that kind of praise, but yeah, yeah. this one uh, this one did it. So That's you're good. a fan too, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. If mm-hmm. anything, um, it was one of the nominees for the North Carolina Film Critics uh, Best Animated Film. Yeah. And I think... Both that and Spider-Man benefit a lot from the way they look because, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's what yeah. sets them apart. The stories are good, but the what's setting them apart is how they look because you're like, wow, this is something different. So if anything, I think I might have voted or I think my vote could tend more towards the Turtles just because I felt like, you know, Spider-Man had innovated and something that jumped out to me as being innovated this year or innovative was the Turtles film. Mm-hmm. So not that Spider-Man still didn't do some new things, but um, both films are really good. But I think if I had to vote one or the other, it may tend a little bit towards the Turtles because of that, because yeah. it, of that technique of like animated, but looking almost like claymation, yeah, which yeah. I found unique. So Yeah. I, I kind of wonder if we really have evolved in the animation field where we've kind of moved past where all the Pixar and yeah. Disney CG, 3D CG animated stuff is starting to become a little passe Mm -hmm. because I mean, there for a while, for many, many years, that's been all that's won awards and that's all the critics and the biggest animated films of the year have been those. But now you look at with Spider-Verse and even, I mean, the turtles did better money than I think anybody expected. They're already planning a sequel. Right. Um, Puss in Boots, the, the last wish we didn't really mention that one's gotten a lot of critical acclaim for, being a really good animated film, better than it had any right to be. Sure. And part of that was they, they implemented some interesting looks in their animation as well. So I think, I wonder if we're kind of seeing the tides turn a little bit. Maybe. Disney and Pixar needs to be kind of scratching their head, trying to figure out, you know, what can we do? What, how can we evolve sure. our approach to animation 
so that we just cut away from this kind of cookie cutter feel and style that we've adopted for the last 20 years. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that is our list of everything. Kind of interesting. A few big films that we did not mention at all anywhere in this conversation. Uh, Asteroid City didn't come up. I know it didn't come up from I'm you because you're not a big fan, but for you, Alan. no, it's and it barely didn't quite make my top ten. It was okay. close, but not quite there. Gotcha. Maestro, the uh, didn't have any, didn't get anything from any, any either of us or anything on the Film Critics Association. True. So, kind of interesting there. Uh, the Killer. If you had told me the David Finch film, David Fincher film wasn't going to get any love from anybody here, I would have been kind of surprised earlier in the year. But yeah, I mean, The Killer, it was fine, but. Sure. Not something that we really felt like had a lot to bring to the table. Uh, and then Napoleon. I, th- I think for me, and I, th- every year has at least one or two biopics, it seems like. Yeah. But this year, I was just overwhelmed with biopics. And I got really weary of it. We had Priscilla. We had Napoleon. We had Maestro. Um, I'm leaving out some. <laughs> but there's a, oh, Oppenheimer. Well, like, Oppenheimer, you know, obviously, so yeah. Just, you know, all these... I just I got to be a little a little weary of uh narrative films that were biopics. Yeah. yeah. And I'll say too that I'm normally the one in my top five. I normally at least have one or so blockbuster, big, you know, action superhero something or another. Because normally I I do find, you know, at least one or two of those a year to be one of my favorite films. This year, not really. I mean got you. uh I think the best quote action film I saw, if you want to even call it that. I, I I mean, it's hard to say. It was probably the creator. Hmm. I really liked the creator. I thought that was good, but not enough to be one of my top films of the year. Um, and the Mission Impossible movie was fine, but yeah, nothing really jumped out. Hmm. So uh, I, I'm I'm proud of myself that these this year's films were definitely all smaller films for the most part. Sure, and uh, ones I'm happy to be putting up on a pedestal. So. Okay, Chris, well, I think that wraps us up for 2023 for the most part. I'm sure we'll probably still talk a little bit about some films the next few weeks that we are catching back up on and maybe making some recommendations on. But uh, if anyone, though, Chris, wants to argue with us on any of our picks (laughs) or berate us for leaving off something we should have. We should have included. How can they start a conversation with us? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. We're also on Twitter at Foot Candle Film, Facebook, Foot Candle Film Society, Instagram and threads, just simply Foot Candle Film. And Al and I are also on Letterboxd where you can try to track what we're seeing. And sometimes we leave quick takes. Do us a favor. Uh, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on because it'll help us reach new listeners. And we would appreciate that. All right. Well, that wraps us up for today. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. When we have more films to review and news and updates to share, we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. See you in the ticket line.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com.